our text this morning, I was, I was contemplating throughout the week with all the, the things that are happening in the world, the current events that are taking place and so forth, and the, the horror uh, and the talk of uh, nuclear proliferation uh, and the devastation of that, what to preach. And so I'm preaching from Isaiah 40. I preached this about a year and a half ago, but it's this entirely different outline and a different approach to it. But it's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 18. Actually, I think we'll read through the end of the chapter. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. I've told you before that Isaiah is uh, the one, probably uh, the major prophecy, major prophet that is more Christological than any other of the major prophets. It has references to Christ throughout it. You know, that beautiful chapter in Isaiah 53 where it talks about he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, which is speaking of, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 through 39 is considered the book of judgment. Well, 40 through the end of the book, through 66, is called the book of comfort. And here is where that comfort begins for God's people. Isaiah chapter 40, I'll read the first verse. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And then we'll start again uh, in verse uh, 6. A voice cries, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the water of the hollow of his hands or marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And they are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes them up. Who takes up the coastlands like fine dust? Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Oh, what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman and set up an idol that will not be moved. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing. And makes the rules of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. To the tempest, uh, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because of his strong, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, may my way be hidden from the Lord, and may my righteous desire be guarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fail, fall exhausted. But the one who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I preach this text. And pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that if there are those here who are sluggish in their faith or sluggish, O Lord, in commitment, or those who are empty of any hope or confidence, that you, Heavenly Father, would grant grace to those, as the Word of God is preached this morning, to be an encouragement to them. We pray, Heavenly Father, if any are here who are indifferent toward the gospel, though having made a profession of faith, they're actually indifferent Those who are unbelievers, we pray that your grace may be multiplied this morning and that salvation may be granted to them. Oh, God, hear us. I ask you to be with me as I preach this wonderful text of Scripture. And may it be, oh, Lord, that we would grasp how great you are. And pray, oh, Lord, that you would uh, cause your word to go forth with power and unction. In Jesus' name, amen. A question this morning for all of you. How big is your God? How great is your God? How confident are you of the strength and the power and the majesty of the God who made all things? And then we may ask a question. Why is it that the Lord who is sovereign and altogether righteous grants success to an exceptionally wicked leader and to accomplish an exceptionally wicked deed, a war, as you know, has been started by Russia. They are ignoring completely the Geneva Convention, which was established and signed in 1949 by 196 countries, including the Soviet Union. And the Geneva Convention set a series series of four treaties and additional protocols in the treatment of noncombatants in the treatment of medics, in the treatment of ministers. And noncombatants were not to be hurt, not to be shot upon, not to be fired at or tried to be killed in any way. And yet what's going on right now in uh, Ukraine, as far as we understand, they are blowing up even hospitals. And they've taken patients underground to try to treat them. They are killing children. They are killing killing them. Women as well, and men who have no involvement whatsoever in this conflict. There's a Ukraine PCA pastor, a pastor in Ukraine, that is still there. He's a missionary, 
Um, they have been having Zoom meetings or Zoom presentations or broadcasts, whatever you call them, every afternoon at 2 o'clock. Today there's one at 2 o'clock, and after today they are going to be once a week at Wednesday, how much longer they are able to do that. The pastor of that church, half his congregation left, a portion of them stayed to be engaged in the conflict and the resistance, and the pastor decided to stay with those who were left in his congregation. I'm going to read this bit to you. It's from the one who was a coordinator of the country of Ukraine. Uh, this was the pastor. We have watched the crisis in Ukraine unfold with heavy hearts, knowing that our times are in his hands. And yet grieving that tremendous loss, suffering, and injustice is taking place before our eyes. Here's the prayer. Please pray that the Lord will strengthen his church through this. And as uh, country director John uh, Eide asked, pray for Ukraine to trust what is not changeable and to hope and what cannot be lost. I love that. Pray for what is not changeable and hope in what cannot be lost. And it was Lloyd Kim wrote that who was the coordinator. So again, I ask you this morning, how big is your God? It's frightening. We live in difficult days. We went through the, the, all the COVID stuff and then now this has been brought upon us uh, when there is threat uh, even a world war. How do we deal with that? It is by trusting in the God of our salvation. Packer said, in knowing God, uh, when we face difficult challenges, when we face hard times, we often include God has no power, He is not good. Or he does not exist. And so that is the end result of faith being tried. And yet that faith responding as if there is no truth to the scriptures. As if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because if we are convinced that Christ rose from the dead, that he defeated sin and death, and we are convinced then that God is holy and righteous and good, because that's demonstrated on the work of, on the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's clearly demonstrated. God is good. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. What happens to see this morning that, uh, since the holy God of all creation is sovereign over all things, since the holy God of all creation is sovereign over all things, Christians should be at peace in all circumstances knowing this fact. We should be at peace as Christians in all circumstances knowing that God is sovereign, God is good, and he is in control of all the events that take place and, in fact, the entire cosmos. Three things this morning. The greatness of God is seen in his grace. The greatness of God is seen in his creation. And the greatness of God is seen in his sovereignty. And the first thing, and then the greatness of God is seen in his grace. There is a command here, an announcement made, uh, town criers to go up on the high mountain. Well, there's a change, you see, and it is a good news that he's going to tell. He used to go up on the high mountain that people did in those days so they could be heard, and he is to herald a message, proclaim a message of good news. He's to do it without fear because this is not a message of condemnation. This is not a message of judgment. This is a message of hope. This is a message that God is coming back to his people. E.J. Young said, the announcement of God's presence must be proclaimed for, a while, for far and wide so that all will know his kindness. 
And so that's the image there. And he is to go up with confidence. Fear not, he is to say, because the message that he is pronouncing will help alleviate or should alleviate fear in the hearts and minds of his people. And the reason for the joyful uh, annunciation is the return of the Lord. If you would again, please look at your text. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And so God, as this is after uh, they, they're about to be uh, in captivity, that's coming. It's coming because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, because of their refusal to care for widows, orphans, and the poor, because of their greed, because of their simple, their rebellion against their creator, their God. Judgment's coming. But now here you see, Isaiah presents it, there's hope to be had after the captivity. There's hope to be had after the judgment. Uh, so our God is coming back to us. And it is that Babylon took over, as you know, in 586, uh, the southern kingdom fell, and they were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. So it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, as quoted from the book of Hebrews. And we think, well, it's only the wicked that are going to suffer, only those bad people that have done these bad things that are going to be punished. That's not the case. Uh, those who are faithful suffer with those who are not faithful. Those who are faithful, and when the kingdom fell in 586, were taken into captivity. Daniel and his friends and others who were faithful were taken away into captivity as well. So it is not just those rebellious that suffer when God brings judgment. It is that the church, when it's under persecution, the wicked and the righteous suffer from the chastisement of the Lord. But these verses, Isaiah is promising that God will not utterly, utterly forsake them. And this would cause us to ask, do we have confidence that the church will survive? Do we have confidence that the church will remain? Do we have confidence that God's people will continue to live on? And the answer to that is yes. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And as God's people... We should be encouraged and have courage. What does Paul say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The only way of salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ and a trust in him. So uh, this God comes. He does not come in weakness. Uh, he does not come uh, in any uh, uh, sort of hiddenness, uh, but he comes in great power. And so God is coming back to be the king of their land. God is coming back to display his presence in the temple and to govern the people as their king. And I love what he says here about God shepherding us. And, of course, this is ultimately a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms. This is exactly what Christ does. And we remember that as we live our lives, we are told again and again and again, we are to trust God in all circumstances. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. That calls for humility. That calls for trust. That calls for believing without a doubt that God is good and he has my best intention in mind. What is best for me, he has in mind when I go through trials, when I go through difficulties. That my God still rules and my God still is powerful. 
even though things are difficult. So he approaches in strength, and he is to be compared with no one. His power is displayed in greatness. There is no other God like our God, for there is no other God. And who but a sovereign God could work in such a way that uh, the nation of the southern kingdom falls. They're taken away into captivity. The gospel is present there through Daniel and his friends and others that were faithful to the Lord. And at the end of 70 years, they come back. Who but a sovereign God could cause something like that to happen? So God is great. And the greatness of God is not derived from anyone. It is simply from himself. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have pledged, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, who will annul it? Who will, uh, he, his arm is stretched out, who will turn it back? Rhetorical questions. The answer is no one. Do you believe that your God is that powerful? That Isaiah says, what he says here is quite true. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and it will not be annulled. His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? The reference here is of the might of God, the power of God, as he rules. A symbol of strength is presented here to us in this language. And then finally, he tells us he will bring his reward with him. His reward precedes him. His reward comes with him. Now, this is not saying that it is because of works or anything of the nature that we receive the blessings of our God. That's possible with the languages here, but we know that this is inconsistent with the biblical view. That all of God's blessings that we enjoy are by his grace, by his unmerited favor, by his kindness to us. That we must admit we don't deserve. Well, we deserve, if we're talking about just desserts and we're talking about what we merit, it's his wrath and condemnation. But because of his great grace and his great love, we have the great blessings that we enjoy in this world. Grace ultimately exposed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the greatness of God is seen in his creation then, in the second place. It is seen in his grace and it's seen in his creation The first lesson the Bible teaches us in Genesis is that God created the world. What was before creation? There was no space. There was no air. There was no gravity. There were no plants. There was nothing. No life at all. But this, before God was, was God. Before God was was God, the eternal one. And the clear teaching of Scripture is that God created. In the beginning, God created the uh, uh, the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And that God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So how did God create ex nihilo? Out of nothing. God created all that is, and by fiat creation, that is, God spoke and brought things into being. Now, God had lived uh, eternally. 
Why did he create what he created when he created it? For his own glory. And we rest with that and we thank him for that. And we thank him for his great grace and the things that we enjoy here in this world that he has made. And biblical creation is rational. Everyone believes that the world can be dated. The atheists believe it can be dated. We recognize that things have age and you can date them to a certain extent. So we agree with the atheists on that. We do not agree with them that the world is billions and billions and billions of years old. But everybody agrees there was a creation. There was a creation, therefore there is a creator. There was a creation, therefore there is a creator. Illustration. A minister showed a philosopher a beautiful poem. Now pay attention. As the philosopher read it, the rabbi said, It has come into being when a cat actually knocked over a pot of ink and spilled all over the document. The poem was resolved. The philosopher scoffed and said that it's impossible. The philosopher was an atheist. Did not believe in creation. He is replied to by this minister, by this rabbi, there must be an author. Therefore, there, I mean, there must be an author. Therefore, there must be a scribe. Things don't happen by chance. Things happen according to the working and the power of God. And so he created all things. Now, can I prove it empirically? If we could go back in time. But only if we could go back in time. But we accept by faith that God created the world and all that is in it. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. What is hoped for? Heaven. The world to come. The spiritual world. And the conviction of things not seen. The conviction that I believe in the reality of heaven. I believe in the reality of angels. I believe in the reality of the resurrection of Christ. I believe in the reality of all of these things that we can't see. By faith, you see. By faith we believe in that uh, these things were done. And as you know, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews goes on to demonstrate faith at work. Abel. Offered a better sacrifice. Enoch was taken up. Abraham. So all these people did things that demonstrated that I believe in the reality of the existence of God. I believe he's personal and I believe he is savior. All of these things work from that as we believe and embrace these things. And the work of creation shows God's greatness. The prophet asked four questions. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens in a span? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? This question sets God entirely apart as uniquely powerful, as uniquely great, because these are all rhetorical questions. Uh, they are not asked to be answered. They are asked to make an effect. And so the answer is implied in the question itself. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hands? Only God. Who has marked off the heavens in a span? Only God. Who has enclosed the, the dews of the earth in a measure, the dust of the earth in a measure? Only God. Who has weighed the mountains in a balance? Only God. That only God, who is creator, could have and did these things that are absolutely marvelous. One, let me read something to you for Sir Isaac Newton. This most elegant system. 
This most elegant system of the sun, planets, and comets could not have arisen without the design and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Again, what are the odds that all the physical constants just randomly falling into into the tiny, precise range that allows life to exist? What are the odds that all the physical constants just randomly falling into tiny particles, tiny, uh, precise range that allowed life to exist? So small, say the scientists, that is to defy calculation. Chance life is silly. It's just silly. And if you consider it, life is so fragile. It's not getting, we don't get stronger per se. We age and we die. We're kind of devolution, if you will. So we believe that God created. We know that we get old and we die because of the fall. And God has brought upon the world that just judgment. The last thing is God's greatness is seen in his, uh, in his sovereignty. By comparison, God is wiser than the wisest, as he asks here in the question, who has instructed him, uh, who has given him knowledge, uh, who has been his counselor, who has given him understanding? And the question is, no one. God did not receive counsel from anyone. He did not uh, learn justice from anyone. All of these things are within God uh, or of his own being. He judges rightly. He judges justly. Uh, it denotes his boundless wisdom as is seen in the creation and providence by which all things keep their places and accomplished his vast design. We cannot and have not and I think cannot begin to grasp the depth of the power and greatness of God. It just, in my mind, is impossible. We showed him the way of understanding. No one. God's knowledge is infinite. It is constant. And his justice, as we know from Scripture, and as we see demonstrated on the path on, on Calvary, never fails. By comparison, God is greater and wiser than all the nations. God is sovereign of what's happening in Ukraine. It's not a chance event. And God's not walking back and forth, wringing his hands, wishing something would happen that would end this. That's not the God of the Bible. It says here in the text, the nations, there is nothing before him. That's a drop in the bucket before him. He controls everything that takes place. And it says that we are accounted as dust upon the scales compared to God. And so that God, at the right time, will say this far and no more. This far and no more. The nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. We read in the scriptures that as long as the earth lasts, summer and winter, night and day, fall will not stop. It's back in the book of Genesis after the flood. So we need not fear and fret because of our great God. We pray for the people. We pray for the evil to stop. And we pray for God to bring judgment upon the wickedness. And we do what we can to help. We can donate to that pastor in the church uh, that's in. I'll get Jess to send that out this afternoon. You can watch the Zoom meeting if you want to.
And we pray for them and we hurt for them. We recognize the great wrong that's been committed against them. But we don't fret. We are not to be afraid because of our great God and how powerful our great God is. E.J. Young said of this text, The contemplation of these things should lead the mind directly to the consideration of the greatness and grandeur of God. I'll read it again. The contemplation of these things that talked about in Isaiah chapter 40 should lead the mind directly to consideration of the greatness and grandeur of God. John Calvin said this, of this, con- of this conviction of the power of God, we're deeply seated in our hearts. Were the conviction, if this conviction of the power of God were deeply seated in our hearts, we should not so much, we should not be so much alarmed and would not so much be disturbed by calamity. If we really believed in the greatness of our God, he is, listen, he is on our side. Now, by that, I mean the church. We are the apple of his eye, we read in the scriptures, the church, the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. We see what a great advantage it is for us to desire God. We see what a logical thing it is for us to desire God. And we see that we should always be moving day by day as we live under the eye and the providence of our God. So I would ask you this morning, are you a laissez-faire Christian? Are you one who goes through the motions, but you don't really care about seeking to please him or have obedience, try to obey him in all things, as we are called to do? Do you live your life uh, knowing that um, God loves you more than he, we can think or say, according to what Paul writes in Ephesians, the breadth and depth and, le- depth and height of the love of God, which passes understanding? We have not been promised, again, by God, a worry-free life. That's not been promised to us. And again, we have, in fact, been told we will have trouble in this world. John, gospel, he tells us that. Jesus tells us that. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So it is that as we are in the midst of trouble and trial, we are to trust and look to Christ. He's overcome the world for us. So we will not be afraid. We will trust and not be afraid. Pray for peace. Pray for the church. But do not be afraid. Do you, this morning as you sit here, are you trusting in Christ as your Savior? Are you seeking to please Him in all of your life? And are you seeking to grow in that relationship? If the answer is no, then you're not a believer. And you need to come to trust Christ for your salvation. If your answer is yes, take advantage of the opportunities to grow in grace. Read the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Have family devotions. Pray together as a family. Encourage one another in the Lord as a family. How can we be confident in these things? Because Christ was dead and now he is alive forevermore. We see that represented for us here this morning as we are about to take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is a proof that Christ died and was risen from the dead, as we see it represented here in these elements. Let's pray.